Welcome to the Cinema Draft Podcast, presented by DraftStream, a discussion show about movies, gaming, and the unexpected cultural detours that color our life. Please enjoy your stay and enjoy the show. And we're back. It's your boy, Wardo Jackson, CEO, founder, creator, oh, it's a little loud, of the great Cinema Draft game. <laughs> and it's time to welcome back St. Louis's finest DFS enthusiast himself, Nick Ringballs. Ringwald. Let's clap it up for him. What's going on, Ringballs? How's it going? Just, just living life, getting used to going back to work <laughs> yeah yeah i i hear you uh and going in office uh yeah i guess you're an essential worker to us degenerates out there you know thank you for your service <laughs> yeah at the uh illinois legalized sports betting this year so we finally have sports hey up and running down here that's right all right <laughs> let, let it rip and roll uh our andy cohen inspired watch what happens live style drinking game tonight shall be the word middle because every time you hear one of us say that word, take a sip of what you're sipping, my nice clear liquid here, water, and uh, tonight's pod will end up covering some of our favorite movies set in Middle America, the Midwest. So, as has been my want these trying COVID-19 quarantine days, while the rest of the world has been on its best behavior, the U.S. is still a viral dumpster fire. We're all stuck at home, at least some of us. I'm stuck here at home. I'm so desperate for good news. Tell me something good, Nick. Uh, I mean, not a lot's changed in mine except going back to work. Uh, Cash the, the Colin Morikawa ticket for uh, the PGA this last weekend. So Yeah, uh, yeah so, my optimizer came in handy there. We're in this uh, this, this private <laughs> league, and I just kind of you know, I played, haven't played golf all year. I, fed, I did my little optimizer mumbo-jumbo, picked one guy myself. And I won! Yay! <laughs> took, took it all down. Yeah, uh, you had that, that that birdie from DJ on eighteen. Think got you. To... I was too busy working or something. I and I was like, "You beautiful back." I thought I'd lost it. I'm like, "All right, let's get second. I'll take my little twenty-seven dollars." But no, <laughs> DJ. Man, I, I finally finally had a six of six week for golf last week, along with about twenty-five percent of everyone else in contest. I had the winner and. Barely cashed in the double ups, and I got shut out in a tournament. So, uh, the rest of my lineup outside of Morikawa was nothing to write home about. So, what? Is no showdown magic this week? You're the showdown sensei, aren't you? Uh, DraftKings. I got yeah. I I got clo- I got close on uh, Friday. I think it was. I got top hundred in the big ten dollar for about seventy five dollars, but need a need a little bit more. Hey, well, as you as you all can tell, we are dealing with a straight up DFS professional. So we will jump right into our proceedings with what we're watching. All right, and so let me get my screen together and share with you what I'm watching. Uh, and I'm and I'm aware it is not for everybody. I am a different kind of cat. I do like me. The odd bit of politics, and it's odd because I never 
peg myself as one of those guys who like, yeah, you know, I'm a politics guy. Because I really am not. But the older you get, and the more, or the more you pay attention, the more stuff starts to matter to you. So the first thing I'd like to mention on watching is the swamp. And probably, yeah, you only get this one picture of the swamp. And why not? It's a documentary. A documentary on, you know, money in politics, a true look at money in politics, and basically congressional politics, uh, you know, as seen through the eyes ugh, of the intolerable Matt Gates. largely. He's one of the protagonists. Uh, we start off with him. The, the real, true Florida man. He's, I forget which uh, district he's from. He's from Florida. I think one, like, the... The, the Gold Coast district, up, up somewhere up in like the the, the 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 Middle Coast. Anyways, he's an awful human being. But what's great about this movie is that early on, at least for the first 30, 40 minutes, he really does, I mean, he cuts a bit of an empathetic figure. Like he's just a freshman congressman trying to figure stuff out, trying to get alliances. You get shown real quick that you're basically extorted by your own party for your seat assignment. So for example, if you're put on like the, the House Ways and Means Committee, which would be kind of rare for a freshman congressman. But if you're put on that, you have to come out of pocket some like half a million dollars to the Republican uh, Party, whatever, or, or whoever is controlling the seat. And I'm just like, that is just bonkers to me that once you get there, and it's bad enough we have money throughout you know, our politics period, once you get there, they, your own party still extorts you for their own coffers. It's nuts. So that was kind of interesting. And seeing him kind of have a bit of a partnership with uh, Ro Khanna, also a freshman congressman, but this one from Silicon Valley, ideological opposites, but they both come together on shit like, uh, I don't know, uh, anti-gerrymandering, no corporate PAC money, and uh, uh, one or two other uh, things. I was kind of like, huh, hey, Matt Gaetz is such a bad guy. But then, halfway through, he sheds his lizard skin. It reveals his true form. Just like the the, the, the the V aliens from the mid-80s TV show series. And he's an awful human being. And the best part about it is that the filmmakers let him do the talking. And they and they kind of <laughs> cleverly edit him against, you know, reality. And it's just it's just hilarious. So I I recommend the swamp. It's a bit more accessible than say <clears throat> its other HBO counterpart, which came out this week. Uh uh, on the trail, uh, the uh, inside look at the 2020 primaries, that's definitely just for political junkies only. This one's a little bit more accessible because you do kind of see from several different people in Congress and outside Congress just how sickening uh, it is how our politics are infused with money. Are you aware of the swamp? Uh, was was it on – or no, I if, – if it – no, I wasn't because, like – like we discussed pre pre show, I didn't even get a call sheet in last week, so <clears throat> I I the only thing that I was aware of from last week is I did sit down and watch an American Pickle. Oh, really? What do you think of that? Uh, it was all right. I, I don't I don't understand why Rogan just doesn't lean into the R ratings for his movies. I felt <laughs> like uh, a couple well placed fucks would have made the movie more enjoyable but uh i mean overall it was a solid watch i think i gave it a six or a seven on imdb something so i'd revisit it but it's one of those that if you don't see it i don't think you're missing out on yeah i think i gave it a i think i gave it a seven myself like, yeah it's funny moment maybe a six i can't remember um i i thought it was fine it was, it was an interesting yeah. discussion this week on on the ringer network uh family of podcasts in like a couple podcasts it's um uh, the Watch, which is one of my favorite ones, the 
it's a podcast with and uh, film critic turned showrunner Andy Greenwald and then his uh, his TV critic best friend Chris Ryan and and they kind of came up and Andy Greenwald in the middle of um, of their discussion this week kind of stumbled onto the idea of what he called um, what was it uh, medium movies basically movies that because we there's a bunch of movies that seem almost perfect for streaming that are now being released for streaming that probably would have suffered at like you know the uh, with a theatrical release and they mentioned an American pickle as one of those. Cause it, it felt a bit slight, right? Like if oh, I had, yeah, that, yeah. Oh no, good. Yeah. That, that's, that's one, like if you would have saw in theaters, I probably would have liked it less, but knowing I could have just sat there and watched it in my recliner at home and paused it when I had to go to the restroom or something like that. It, it's well, and unfortunately it seems like comedies, at least unlike in, except like your Kevin Hart uh, vehicles and everything like that. Most of them, they're just making for smaller and smaller to where it seems like it's going more towards it's just fine to watch it at home. Yeah, that's a good point about comedies. I mean, there are, I mean, there are few really big budget comedies that aren't like, say, action comedies that really need to play on the big screen. And our screens at home are so much bigger than they were in like the 80s and 90s. So all that totally makes sense. I'd kind of wonder about especially with the deal that universal basically strong-armed amc into as far as shortening the theatrical window or whatever for releases i kind of wonder if once we're on the other side of this quarantine and pandemic how many films are just either going to bypass or are are truly going to be embraced being medium movies like you know what I mean, yeah. maybe this could have worked in the 90s, the aughts, but, you know, right now, like, I mean, there's, I mean, I don't want to say that we're going to get to a place where you're only going to see tentpole movies at the movie theater because that would suck. I'm so glad I saw Parasite on a big screen. I went and saw, yeah. and saw it on an even bigger screen. I went and saw an IMAX version of it. And I mean, you know, it's, and that's the type of movie where it doesn't necessarily have to be on a big screen, but I'm glad I saw it on a big screen. But I think that there are, might be some business decisions coming down the pike, especially as, you know, productions being delayed, at least in the United States, they're filming elsewhere. We just can't get our act together. Uh, I think there might be some business decisions made about what types of movies, you know, go towards streaming and embrace their mediumness and what types, you know, go more towards the, the theater. I was annoyed when I remember being annoyed when I would pitch ideas back, back when I was, uh, on the fringes Hollywood screenwriter. I used to do this thing with my writing partner, Greg, uh, AKA Gene Ice on the podcast, <laughs> part of the tripod. Uh, we used to do this thing called the daily pitch. And, and I always get annoyed when I pitched my manager, this idea and be like, Oh, that's a tweener. Like, it's, I mean, and we, and we didn't have streaming back then. Netflix is still yeah. sending out DVDs in the mail, but and it used to get me annoyed, but now I see exactly what he means. Tweeners. Yeah, no. Well, and like you said, that the, well, I mean, it's the the annoying part about comedies is my my favorite movies to see when crowded theaters, if we ever get that again, is opening night for comedies and like opening night for horror movies because mm. you just they they just make the to me they just make the experience better when you're in a theater either full of people laughing or you have that tense moment when in the the horror movies or you get your random people yelling at the screen to, uh, to don't go in there or anything like that. Don't it, do it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> it, 
it it makes the experience that much better and i mean i'm the same way as you i'll see anything in theaters i understand that there's some that it's better just to watch at home but i when given the option i always prefer to go see it in theaters and get the big picture the big picture feel of being in a theater sure and, and another film that i watched uh, from our draft stream game is the tax collector and this <laughs> that's the shia right yeah this is shia and you know what i might need to do some quick research as we talk about this because i'm pretty sure i i'm, I'm pretty sure i heard about shia getting real life tattoos to play this guy I, I I mean, this it sounds like did Shia. That sounds like something. Yeah, he did would Shia LaBeouf tattoo his chest is the, is the autocomplete from Google? Oh my! <laughs> oh my lord! You know, all right, here, here, I gotta, I gotta share this. I gotta share. It. Look at this shit. Actor Shia LaBeouf got his entire chest tattooed permanently, permanently for his new movie, The Tax Collector. <laughs> he got a tooth pulled on Fury. And on Tax Collector, he got his whole test chat test. His whole test, his whole chest tattooed. So he kind of goes all in. I've never known anyone that committed or insane. <laughs> and the best slash worst part about this is that, and I, I think I'll put this in the rundown notes because I'm sure you'll probably found it shocking, is that there, if you haven't seen the movie already, there's only one scene, one shot, where you see his tattooed body the entire time. He's in a suit and tie. This makes no sense whatsoever. It is so that, dumb. <laughs> that, I mean, you can never, you can never deny Shia for his commitment to rules. You can call him crazy, you can do, but uh, he's he's right there with uh, Daniel Day Lewis for going all in on a rule. Yeah, and and honestly, he, I mean, and from that, from uh, this other podcast I listened to on the Ringer Network, uh, the Big Picture said Chris Ryan was was uh, cross podcasting with the host of that one, Sean Fennessy, and was talking about how Shia LaBeouf, they actually uh, glossed over the tax collector, and I'll give my quick review in a second, but there, but he was talking about how Shia LaBeouf was basically positioned to be a little bit of like the Daniel Day-Lewis, whatever his generation, you know, be one of the more serious, you know, best actors of his generation. He's a bit of a natural talent. He's a child actor kind of growing up. We all kind of have, actually watched a documentary called Showbiz Kids, also from the Ringers, Bill Simmons, executive produced, uh, which is kind of interesting. We all kind of know how child actors don't always make the transition successfully, sanely, into uh, yeah. adult actors or adulthood period. And Shia is just kind of like one of these guys who had was really set teed up in like the early aughts to, to become like the next big deal. I remember seeing, I mean, even in Little Affair, like Eagle Eye, which still is kind of, you know, you know late summer flashy, you know, the Rosario yeah. Dawson and other stuff. I mean, I thought he was going to be like that guy, that dude. And something just snapped him, or I'm not sure what happened personally, but he's kind of been off the rails since. I guess he's kind of veering his way back into, you know, uh, more serious fare, doing it on Indie Circuit, Peanut Butter Falcon, some other stuff like that. And I guess this movie's been out there for like two or three years. They filmed this like a while ago. So this is kind of like the tail end of a super crazy phase. And it kind of shows. Have you, have you seen The Tax Collector? No, I, uh, but I remember like hearing about it like six months ago and I just assumed it was already out. Did it just get released on VOD this past weekend? Yeah, they've been trying to sell it for two years apparently. So he, I mean, it's David Ayer, you know, for better or worse. And David Ayer is, I mean, the guy who gave us, you know, such 
classics like Training Day and and lesser non-classics like Suicide Squad, <laughs> which I enjoyed. I thought that was fine. Fury was good. He wrote and directed that. I mean, he's a talented writer. Okay, director. But and and honestly, the first maybe thirty minutes this kind of felt like Training Day for thugs. <laughs> Because you see them go along. I mean, so basically, the base of the, of the tax collector, the, the premise of the tax collector is, is uh, you have these, these two kind of um, collection agents for, for like a Latino uh, uh, mafia family. And they, and, uh, and who's, I guess. Uh, okay. I, yeah. I, rem- I remember this preview now. now yeah. Yeah. Who's it's, it's all coming back. Yeah. The pedophilias or whatever is in, is in jail. And so they're, they're going around and collecting all this money for, for the family business. And for the first 30, 40 minutes, you see them like going along their paper route. Matter of fact, his, the, the wife of the lead and Shia LaBeouf is not the lead, mind you. It's this dude, Bobby Soto, really good. Uh, the wife of the lead, she calls it his paper route. So yeah, let's get this money off this paper route. I mean, they're going, I mean, if you don't pay up, you know, they do really bad things to you. And that's where Shia's character comes in. His name is Creeper. <laughs> Great name. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk kind of on the internets that Shia was brown facing or something like that. And it's just, there's just no evidence of that. He does have this weird muddled accent, which is kind of like, I mean, it, it's, it's not even like he's aping, you know, uh, like Latino, uh, gang speak or anything. It's just like, he, he just sounds like a well, white he's player. just kind of a mumbler in movies too, so... Yeah, he's a bit of a mumbler. The accent's a bit of a muddle. I mean, he just sounds like a white boy who wants to be down or, or who has or who's grown up around these people. And that's kind of how he sounds, right? Like, I mean, like yeah. Eminem, you know, he doesn't sound like he's from the Valley or something. He sounds like he's from Detroit, like from the wrong side of Detroit. So, you know, it's kind of like the same version, only L.A. style. And it's, I mean, he's fine. I mean, he, he's enjoyable. He's, he's edgy. He's very entertaining, very interesting. Um, and, but the movie really isn't, isn't about him. He's kind of like just a side character. It's about this Bobby Soto guy and his family. And, and this, and he's like a trigger happy, like, you know, bit of a goon, but he's, he's, he's a goon with soul. He's on a keto diet. He's, uh, he, he's, he's watching what, what, what he eats. He doesn't drink or, or smoke. He's like, and always wears a suit on their paper. It's just, it's crazy. Anyway, this, this photo from him out that you had up on the screen, he looks like he's in excellent shape. Yeah, no, yeah, he's, I mean, he's very, he's very lean, ready to, ready to rock and roll, and, I mean, but I, I mean, I enjoyed it because it's totally ridiculous, I mean, they try to infuse a lot of religion into it, just shoehorning it in, I'm like, okay, and it gets a little gruesome, oh, Lana Perea, ooh, man, yeah, keep getting them, keep getting them checks, girl, love seeing her, George Lopez plays uh, the, the mobbed-up <laughs> uncle, I mean, it's, it's an interesting film, it's not a great film, it's not, it's, kind of a good film but i enjoyed it for what it is it i mean it, it probably has potential to be an underground camp classic just because you can't take it too seriously it's so gangster fused machismo it's laughable even seriously points where i was laughing it's just so over the top but i, I enjoyed it it was it was, it was, it was it was you know a bit dark a lot of dead bodies a, a ritual suicide you know whatever you know yeah yeah like I, this. I I, mean. oh yeah that that looks yeah it's 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 David Ayer with 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 no edits, you know. It's, it's whatever, and I, it comes in at like ninety minutes, ninety five minutes, so you can knock it out in, in one sitting. It's all good. Anyways, the, the the oh, and her, Cheyenne Ray Hernandez. I've never seen her before. Not only is she hot, her wardrobe is crazy, and she and she basically plays like uh, as they said in the, in the movie, a female version of you, creeper. 
she's like just like like the assassin of all assassins. She is something else. Yeah, yeah. A lot of yeah. Look look at that outfit. Look at them boots. Yeah, I, was, that good. I just clicked on her IMDb page, and that's her photo on there too. Uh, I mean, I mean, if, if if she has to shoot me, I I probably die happy. You know, you might go with a smile on your face, right? Yeah. So very yeah. stylish, very yeah. Actually, what has she done? This is the first time I've seen her. She has she done, looks like she's in. Uh, it looks like. Uh, oh, she's rumors. just getting started. Okay, rumors. That's um. A TV miniseries. Have you seen Rumors? Is that something I should know about? That's a post-production. It's not even out yet. Okay. Yeah. So she's just uh, started. Five credits. Hawaii Five-O. Did not watch that. Well, and it looked like she was just in an episode of that. So yeah, she, she's very green. Yeah. No. Yeah. This this definitely is, is going to get her some notice. She she looks incredible in there. Her out her wardrobes are crazy, and she plays a very psychopathic killer. And I'm here for it in the David Ayer movie. Why not? <laughs> Anyways, that's what I've been watching. What else have you been watching, Nick? Oh, uh, so with going back to work, I haven't really watched much. I uh, did finally, I did power through all was it, 12 seasons of Big Bang Theory on HBO Max. Really? So you're that guy. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I hadn't, I didn't see the last three seasons, I think. I, when I, I moved up when I moved away for a year or so we, we didn't have cable and it wasn't on any streaming services. So I never really watched much of the last three seasons. And, uh, I finally got to the end and the, I mean, I, I know this show takes a lot of shit for being a network comedy and it's, and the, the canned laughs and everything like that. But, uh, the way they wrapped everything up, it was very satisfying. Uh, I agree. just have, having, Having a good season finale or series finale make it could make the world of difference. Like I, I stuck with How I Met Your Mother all the way through, and I, to this day, I'm still angry how they ended it, where it was basically just a slap in the face to everyone who watched the show. It's like, yeah, we knew Ted and Robin were going to end up together, and I don't even care if that's a spoiler alert. I say this all the time. Uh, but no, Actually, I, I tapped really, out after maybe season four, so so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's but uh, no, I I really enjoyed how it all came together, and it's just a fun show. It's a good show. It's a nice background show, and I uh, yeah. Other other than that, uh, no, no, I, I really like. And I and I mean, it's a good show. I I agree. I mean, if you if you have more ad, go ahead. I was just gonna chime in and say that uh that you're right it does get a lot of shit to be a network tv show albeit one of the most successful ones of all time i mean like it's it's probably the show that put laurie well over the top of being a billionaire chuck laurie the, the creator and i think yeah. too and it's just i mean and after a while they, it, they become like kind of old friends i mean i remember watching it when it first came out like i didn't think anything was gonna be i, I was gonna give it like like my standard three episodes would be done when it first came out but it just stuck with me. It, it's, you know, it's kind of goofy, but the, the personalities are well-drawn. I mean, they're likable enough, you know, I mean, even Sheldon, who's, you know, kind of like the, I mean, if there is a hateable person on this show, it's probably him because he's so neurotic. And I, and I know there's probably a whole school of thought out there, people saying, oh, he's undiagnosed, such and such, you know, and it might be true, but the way they play it, it's fine. Like he, it's just part, it's just who he is. And he's not, you know, more or less because of it, you know. So I don't know. I just after a while, I just really, you know, like, you know, it was, it was a good hang. 
basically. It was yeah. Great. No, yeah, like you said, I mean, they almost it almost felt like you tuned in to just watch your friends hang out for 30 minutes every week, and the characters were really well developed, and they it's just it it it's just a quality TV show. This is back when Raj couldn't speak to women, I bet, huh? <laughs> yeah. Without being drunk. Yeah, yeah, he's got his he's got his grasshopper like <laughs> drinking. Sad thing is, I kind of know how to make that. <laughs> Prendiments, uh, white. Uh, white creme de cacao. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, that, that's that's a very. I've never made it in person, but yeah, that's like a really rare drink. It says a lot. I, about I, as as a as someone who enjoys, I've never had one, but I enjoy mint, so I feel like it's something I would enjoy. But I think you would. It, yeah, it looks tasty. Yeah. All right, so Big Bang, and actually, and while you've been doing, while you did the Big Bang Theory, I've, for some reason, decided to start over with Friends, because I kind of came mm. in late on the first season, and I honestly didn't really even watch it too tough, because back at the time, back probably before your time, before you were even born, maybe, I don't know, when it first came, no, that's not true, Friends came out. I was, I was alive, I, I was a toddler when it came out, but. Fair no, enough. I, I, yeah, no, I, friend. What, well, I guess, what did you think going through and watching it, it today, like in today's time? Well, I haven't finished it. I'm only in, in like the second season because they, they were committed to that 22 episode. Oh, yeah, different. right off the bat. 90s were a different time. But also when it came on, I mean, I mean one, I was in college. Two, in, and back then we didn't have like at Morehouse, we didn't have a lot of choice when it came to, <clears throat> when it came to uh, what we could watch, at least in communal settings. And that came on at the same time as Martin, I think. And honestly, I'll pro Martin anyway. It was either Martin or Living Single. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. It came on at the same time as Living Single. That's what it was. And since Living Single had been on like a year or so earlier, we called it the White Living Single. And so anybody was <laughs> fucking with that. Nobody was fucking with Friends. You know, they didn't look like us. So it took me a while to even get into the loop of Friends. And, and so I was, I'm like, all right, well, let me start watching this thing from the beginning, see how it is. And that first season's pretty uneven. But towards the end of the season, they're st- they start to find their rhythm. And, and yeah. early second season, but it's kind of like, it's starting to get to the point where it is kind of like hanging out with like, you know, a, your friend group, whatever. Even though a shocking lack of blacker Latino people in New York City. It's just like, seriously. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I, I, they, go, they go through nine or ten seasons and that really doesn't change. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what do you think I, of Friends? I, I, so, I, I enjoy the show. I'm well aware of why, right? and it, I don't, I don't think it holds up great. It's not like necessarily like insensitive or anything. It's just in the, in the time you get really invested, like when, cause I was, I was, I guess by the time they really got to like the sixth season, I'd sit down and watch it with my parents every week when it came on and everything like that. Cause I was old enough to start realizing. So I pretty much watched from like season six on while it originally aired. Okay. And then since it's been on Netflix and now HBO Max, I've, I've probably seen through the series at least 10 to 15 times. It used to be just a background show for wow. me. So, okay. Um, Have it on um, just for light, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, it, then it's on TBS every day for like three hours. So true. Uh, I, I can probably sit here and quote episodes without, actually having them on but man as as i get older and just realize because i get i think when the show started they're supposed to be in like their early 20s like 22 23 just living in new york and 
more like mid to late twenties. I think like um, Ross is like a, uh, a doctor, so he's got, he's got to be at least yeah. 25, 27 ish. Yeah, and and their but, real ages were like like mid to late twenties themselves. So. But uh, they just Ross and Rachel as we go along. Ro- Frankly, Ross is a terrible person, especially as the show goes on. <laughs> we were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> Which I I I mean. I'll put my official statement out there. They were on a break, but also you don't go sleeping with someone the, literally the night that you break up if uh, if your ultimate goal is to get back together with them. So uh, he, he's, he's right in the sense that they were on the break. He's also wrong that he, you know, banged the, the Kinko's girl too. So, uh, I, but I know it takes a lot of hate nowadays, especially it goes. So I understand where that comes from, but I still enjoy it. Uh, as 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 I've started watching, I I watch Seinfeld more and more, and it's it's past friends for me. Just Son- with- and, and Seinfeld's one, like you said, always on syndication, whatever. I watched it. I think honestly from the beginning all the way through when it was on air, and that's when I haven't really revisited but it is one that i'll catch snippets of when i mean channel surfing really isn't much of a thing anymore these days at least not for me because uh i have youtube tv you really have to be like you know i mean it's not like you gotta go out of your way to channel yeah yeah you really have to like like oh this is all i'm gonna stop and watch versus you know you're flicking through like we used to but um the seinfeld i think would probably hold up only mostly because they're adults they also had a pretty they had also had a fairly you know uh, white-centric view of New York, but they would mix in, uh, you know, the diversity of New York Times, everything from, like, the soup Nazi. Not a lot of black people, once again, it's okay, fine, whatever, not everything's about us. But it's. But I enjoyed it at the time for what it was, because they really had a, a talent, and as we see now, Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's pretty much just the end of Larry David, they really had a talent for making a whole episode about nothing. And that kind of really resonated with me, because we would, I mean, me and my friends, we always get into these arguments or or, or discussions about nothing, the, the minutia of the minutia. And they really made that into, into high art. And so many of the quotable lines that kind of stayed with you, it really has embedded itself in, in the lexicon of pop culture. Oh, yeah, for sure. You're like, you, you, you can just sit there and pop on an episode now and, like, everything they're still talking about, the, the fights about, like, the little arguments you get in your friend over, like, who, who's, the, who's the better baseball player? And then you get into a 45-minute verbal assault on each other as you go deep and down that rabbit hole and they and it's just every everything feels relatable even what 20 20 30 years later whenever what 97 was that the last year it was on you know there was a spiritual air to this show called alone together have you seen that show i don't think oh man it was on freeform for two short glorious seasons it starred little esther esther kavitsky uh, that's how I found out about her, she, and, and I call it based on Seinfeld for millennials. You would enjoy the shit out of it. They they've what also alone together. Actually, yeah, let me bring that up. Everyone knows Seinfeld. Screw these guys. Alone together is excellent. Um, it's 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 two best friends, uh, Benji and and Esther. They're both uh, uh, comedians. To not in this not in the show. In the show, they're, I think they're kind of just struggling young people trying to figure it out. Yeah, little Esther Kavitsky and and uh, Benji Afalo. And they're they're basically like the, the 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 Jerry and Elaine, but it's just like it's for millennials. It's very millennial centric. She's super obsessed with like 
everything that's like superficial and he's just a neurotic you know young jewish kid and they and their friend groups as you know you know typically millennial eclectic and just i mean it's just a really fun show it's, it's really funny i enjoyed it i'm it was i was sad to see it go but it had yeah chris Neely, oh he's been canceled <laughs> oh yeah that, that, he doesn't hold up well and um, he, he plays, he kind of plays a bit of a creep on here, but he plays Benji's older brother that she's, you know, in love with. It's just, it's just really funny though. She, she's got so many weird quirks. And I, I, I don't know if you saw her stand-up special on uh, Comedy Central. She was great in that as well. She's, she's really talented. I really like her a lot. She's very funny. And she is kind of sneaky hot. Like this, and, you know, and oh. the whole thing was called Hot For My Name. She's five foot nothing, you know, it's kind of tiny. But she's got like this energy to her and that's just really kind of infectious and kind of attractive. It's really weird. And she's like 32. She looks like she's 22. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, she, yeah no, yeah, she's sneak, sneaky hot. Yeah, so anyways, I, I highly recommend that. Just, just give it, just give it, I would say, I was all in after the first episode, honestly. But give it two episodes, an hour of your life. I promise you, you'll plow through the whole thing. It's only probably about maybe 20 episodes in existence, I think. So yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Well, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday Wednesdays are my off days, so I've I've got time to kill tomorrow. So there you go, enjoy the sneaky hot girl. All right, <laughs> <laughs> we are now on to our main topic for this episode: top five Midwest movies. Now, for those of you who are new to the program or need a reminder, the way the game works is we name a movie that takes place or uses the Midwest as a character. We alternate picks. Once someone picks a movie, that movie is out of play. And since you are playing away games here, Nick, you are a guest. You get to go first. And I'm pretty sure you're picking one of the ones I've starred. So put me out of my misery. Well, as I was doing my research for this, I can tell you right off the bat, I'm going to lean hard into the city of Chicago for uh, okay. our Midwest movie. All right. And I'm going to start with Ferris Bueller today. Damn it. Uh, there wasn't, I mean, I knew it was going to come up, so I'd save my, I spared myself the trouble of getting my heart broken, but it was one of the first ones that came across for me, too. And yeah, Chicago is a great resource for middle America movies. Okay. So, yeah, so, I mean, this, this just feels, well, first off, I, going back to the Ringer podcast network, I know Simmons has talked about it a lot. There, the the amount of stuff he gets in on the time and still gets back home to beat his parents before homework is uh, – he's got some time continuum that he could, travels through. But everything about this movie is just – it's just fun. Like, every – I know when I watched this and I would stay homesick from school, whether I was faking it or I was actually sick – you're just sitting there thinking, you're like, how can I get to do all of these things? And um, what's her name? Uh, Mia Sarah. Mia Sarah. Yeah. 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 Mia just looks fantastic in the movie. Uh, Al Alan Ruck, he's he's like 30 years old in this movie, and he still passes as a <laughs> as a high school kid. Where where is AK the dumb brother in Succession, Connor. <laughs> And and then obviously Matthew Broderick. Uh, this this speaking of channel surfing, if you're ever whenever you're channel surfing, if I see this on, this is just an instant. I'm gonna throw it on and watch it until it's it's over type of movie. 
Yeah, you know what? I think the, the draft mom has not seen this movie, so I think she needs to be indoctrinated. This um, a, this yeah, this is it's what it's was 80, 87? 86. 86. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's what it's coming up on 35 years old and it's it's still relatable now as it was when it came out. It's just a it's just a fun day with your friends and and, and basically, you know, Ferris Bueller, you know, skipped school. For those of you who are either too young or or lack this this or have this hole in your pop culture library, Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, uh, you know, basically fake sick to just have a day off with your friends. Nowadays, you probably call it self-care day and your parents probably let you take it off anyways. But back then in the 80s, that shit didn't exist. So he fakes being sick, um, goes to round up his friends, gets his girlfriend, that's super hot, Mia Sarah, uh, at the peak of her powers, uh, goes to get get her out of school, and, and they go over to his to his friend Cameron's house to Cameron's just feeling depressed because he's got a rich dad who doesn't love him. So basically spend the entire day trying to cheer him up. And this is a great day. It's a great day in the city of Chicago. They do a lot of Chicago-centric stuff that, you know, most people normally wouldn't be able to get to do. And it's just a fun time out in town. It's just one day where they get to see everything and he's being chased and hounded by his principal who, you know, has had enough of his shit. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's a fun time in the movie. I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. It was such a fun movie. Yeah, well, you you could almost just make the case that it should have been Cameron's day off because it's it's what he needed. Yeah, he, he needed a self care day. He totally did. He totally did. And and yeah, they go to Cubs game, Sears Tower, back in called Sears Tower, all that good stuff. So yeah, Ferris Bueller's day off, excellent pick, excellent, excellent. Good job on you, buddy. Um, so I'm going to get this out of the way because I'm sure it came up in your research. I'm just gonna do Twister. That movie actually, I, I like that movie, Twister. It definitely is a tour of the Midwest. It's basically some storm chasers played by Bill Paxton. Oh, R.I.P. One of the good ones. Uh, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Uh, I think this is kind of the movie that really, this, in mid-90s, Helen Hunt had a, she was making the, the, the crossover from TV to film, which nowadays is nothing, but back then it was like a really big deal. Because she was on a successful show called Mad About You with Paul Reiser. Uh, and this is kind of like her her hiatus project that she did. Came out in summers, kind of like a, a low key but big, you know, summer disaster flake. They're basically storm chasers chasing hurricanes throughout the Midwest. And I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater. You know, it was it was a thrill. It was different. I mean, special effects were on point. But for some reason, it really kind of took off. It made a ton of money. Uh, spawned. A cottage industry of the next three years of just like you know you know low yeah, rent knockoff yeah, yeah disaster film volcano some other bullshit anyways but it, it, it it's it's not like a great movie but it's a fun movie and it definitely is. it takes you through you know a few different subcultures of the Midwest and yeah it was fun I enjoyed it Twister I think I no, it, it from, this this was a movie Alan Ruck again I, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman at oh, wow yeah. just um, no, I, I feel, I feel like it's going to be a common theme with our list, uh, with the Midwest. There's not going to necessarily be a lot of amazing movies, but most of these are just going to be fun. And, hey, 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 rep your, rep, rep your region, rep your region. You're, you're from the Midwest, <laughs> right? I mean, don't, don't play yourself short. We might find some hidden gems out there. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I do, I do have some Oscar nominated ones on my list, so we, we might get there, but, uh, 
but no, yeah, this this is just it's a ridiculous disaster movie, and it's a fun watch. Yeah. There you go. All right, so so go ahead. What's your second film? All right, I'm going to go back to the city of Chicago and uh, our, I guess, just outside of Chicago, and I'm going to go with Mean Girls. Ah, that was on my list. Nicely played. One of my, I mean, low-key one of my favorite movies of all time. Like when I, I was just, it. I was just about to say this. This, this, I love this movie. It, uh, I mean, you want to talk about a cast of attractive people too. Ooh, uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Amanda Seyfried, Lacey Chabert, just, uh, what was it? I think this was right as, right as puberty was starting too. So that might've had a, bit, uh, a little bit to do with it, but I quote this movie to, to this day. Um, you where, can't sit with us. <laughs> Wednesdays where we, we were pink. He does. She doesn't even go here. Yeah, she uh, doesn't even go here. <laughs> so uh, it's so much talent too. Like, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, um, uh, young Lizzie Kaplan, Janice. Yep. Yes. Uh, just Tina Fey, who wrote this and and had had nice little you know guest starring little role in this movie. I mean, just it, you're right. It, it, it's it's quite possibly a perfect movie. So much fun. Definitely. One of the better, like, best high school teen movies ever. Oh, there's an idea for a pod. High school movies. Okay. Speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, the next poll that uh, Chuck Nasty and I are doing, I think we're gonna do we're gonna do a teen movie. So ah. that's actually the actually the one we're working on. And uh, Mean Girls and Ferris Bueller probably probably gonna end up near the, as one seed. They're very close to or Make sure you tag Cinema Draft on that. I want to participate. I definitely want to want to weigh in because we'll, I have we'll thoughts. Do. I have thoughts. Yeah, this is a great cast. All I mean, all these guys. And this is, I mean, Rachel McAdams was a bit of known quantity at this point, but still, it's like, I mean, you, this this is what showed me not only can she do comedy, but that she's up for anything. And and I kind of mentioned, I think, in a few podcasts before uh, about the how the Eurovision, yeah, how how pleasantly surprised it was by Eurovision but how I shouldn't have been that surprised because when it comes to Rachel McAdams, whatever she does, she goes all in. She commits, oh. no matter how dumb or goofy the movie is, Red Eye, she's in there. You know, uh, Game Night, she's in there. This, I mean, she really leans into Regina George, the, the queen bee of, of the social circle at uh, Lindsay Lohan's new high school. And it's just, I mean, it's so, it's such a good movie. They've made a Broadway play out of it, crying out. Yeah. So good. So good. Ah, excellent pick. I can't fault it. This is so inappropriately hot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, all the performers are over 18 years of age, but I remember watching this in the movie and I'm like, oh my goodness. There's some here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rock. Yeah, good. Excellent pick. I cannot fault. And it is ostensibly set in, in, in Evanston, right? Like sub- suburbs yeah. of Chicago where my former writing partner, G-Nice, is from. So, yeah, nice. Well played. Not scratched off my list. But I will lean into you – know, actually, I'm going to take this one off the board because I know it's coming. This one screamed Midwest, and it's Fargo. Had to do it. Yep. Way too obvious. If I didn't do it, I'm sure it would be your next pick. I'm not talking about the TV show, although that's interesting. Oh, and here goes the TV show. Let's go to the movie. There it is. <laughs> Francis McDormand. Look at that hair. Yeah, yeah. France McDormand. The yeah, you betcha. The very the, the total Minnesota accent. Oh, you know, we're out here. 
there it is, much better than I could. And it, like I said, a homespun murder story, a little bit of a murder mystery. Uh, France McDormand is, uh, she's a pregnant cop, right? Yeah. Yeah, pregnant cop trying to figure out uh, this, this murder and stuff. It's set in the, just, you know, just the, the dead of winter uh, in Minnesota and, Minnesota. and uh, I think she's taking a trip to Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota. So yeah. Well, wow, is that Peter Stormare? This guy, he, he's definitely one of those that guys. This guy has been getting checks for probably about 40 years. He's been in everything. He's in Armageddon playing Russian. I think his background is like Czechoslovakia or something, but he, he's played every type of white person you can imagine. No, he, he's Swedish. I didn't even know that. I thought he was Russian for all these years or some sort of Ukrainian. Wow. Very talented. I guess Stormare Storm does sound pretty Swedish, but yeah, no, he's 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 the one of definitely one of those bat guys. I I wouldn't have been able to pull his name, but like you see him, and you're like, oh, I'm... yeah, yeah, he's everywhere. So yeah, so it's very talented cast. Had I think this also had was that Bill Paxton again? I think this. Uh, William H Macy. William H Macy. That's right. Uh, and Bu- I think Bushimi's in it too. Wow, stack cast, very stacked cast. Oh, there's the video again, whatever. Um, yeah, and so, and I think she won an Oscar for this, so, yeah, and this yep. one, and this is the movie that I think that really solidified the Coen brothers as a force to be reckoned with, um, and they've been, I mean, I'm not saying they've been dining out in this movie, but when people think of the Coen brothers, the first movie they kind of think of is Fargo, because this is what kind of really jump-started for them, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, I actually just watched this for the first time a couple months ago i i mean i'd watched the first season of the of the show um and i would i mean i was aware of the movie i knew everything that happened but i never actually sat down and watched it and uh it it didn't disappoint yeah yeah all right so that was my second one i guess what's your third one all right um all right we're gonna we're going to go back to the Chicago area one more time, and we're going to go with A League of Their Own. Oh, I love that movie. Everyone loves that movie. There's, it's, there's just so much to love about this movie. You got Gina Davis, fantastic. Tom Hanks is the curmudgeoned old, former, washed-up, disgraced baseball player, now is the coach. and I mean, it's... It's really hard for me to complain about a sports movie. And then this just has everything about it. I'm still a firm believer that Gina Davis dropped the ball on purpose at the end of the game, at the end of game seven for the World Series. She goes home to be with her husband who just got back from the war, which is fair. She missed him. But then she decides to come back, play game seven of the World Series, and then purposely drops the ball for her team and her team loses. You know what? I'd, I'd be a little upset at her if I was some, anyone else on the team. And you know what? I think I've only seen this once in the theater. I really enjoyed it. I get why it's a classic. And the classic line, which is? There's no crying in baseball. There it is. Uh, I mean, I get all that. And I remember when I saw it, I remember, I think it was, if, if it was covered at all, it was glossed over at best. But I really like the fact that it covered this part of history that, you know, was never really talked about, was rarely talked about, you know, during World War II, all the men, all, all the men's were off fighting, you know, in the, in the Big Bad War. A lot of women took over traditionally 
male jobs, like, you know, the old Rosie the River, there all sort of stuff, that propaganda, you know, to, to, to encourage women at, at the time who, you know, were not being drafted and staying at home in the United States to do their part. Uh, you know, there was no baseball for a while. You know, there is, you know, Ted Williams, you know, the legendary Hall of Fame hitter, you know, had to go fly fighter planes and shit because it was a war. And so in, in their stead, they fielded a, a league of women baseball players. And that was an actual real thing that happened. And I had no idea really kind of going into the, the movie when I saw in 92. And I was, I was, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And it kind of got my curiosity up a little bit about that type of stuff to the point where even now, some 20, some, oh my God, it's almost 30 years later, <laughs> uh, I've, I've actually watched, uh, I, I had sat the draft mom down to watch this, uh, this uh, documentary about uh, two real life League of Their Own women, you know, who <laughs> played in, at the time, who are still alive. I mean, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, they're not alive. They're, or one of them is alive, one of them died. Basically, they're, they're uh, you know, closet lesbians who played in the same, <laughs> I think on the same team or in the same league, and kind of kept their love hidden for a long time until, you know, I think maybe in the 70s, they finally maybe came out, whatever. But they've been together every day for like 60 years. It's like the most beautiful thing you ever heard. And, and it's really interesting watching like their relationship, you know, now as older frail women reflect on their time playing in, you know, the, the, the women's, you know, baseball league. It's really kind of cool. So, yeah. I love me some historical fiction. So that's, that's that too. <laughs> Yeah, great, great, great one. Great cast to you. Penny Marshall, uh, another good one. Gone, R.I.P. This is a great director. Such a nice, such a light touch. I always love a good Penny Marshall film. <laughs> All right, so my third one will be... Let's go with... Young Adult. Charlize Theron. Very... Midwestern movie, very much smack dab in the middle. She's she plays a former. Well, I mean, she's still kind of hot. I mean, they do their best to like glam her down. Have you have you seen Young Adult? First of all, uh, Ring Ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pat Oswalt's her in there. The, her the guy lusting after her, right? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting role for him in this as well. And yeah, this is, I mean, this is uh, another one directed by Jason Reitman. That's right. Ivan Reitman's son, the guy who directed Ghostbusters and all that good stuff. Um, I mean, he's very talented. This is kind of flown under the pop culture radar, but I think people who've seen it have real affection for it because it's a really good film. It's the type of movie where she's, she's unlikable. You know this from damn near the opening frame. She's she basically, yeah. in a sense of arrested development, where she still goes out, gets drunk out every night. I mean, her job, such as it is, I, I mean, do we really even know what her job is or was? I forget what it was. But, but She's a writer, isn't she? She writes young adult yeah, novels, Yeah, right? there you go. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Uh, she writes young adult novels. Um, and she's kind of basically been, been the type of person that we all kind of mocked it at, in high school we were being picked on well I want to grow up and you're still going to be you know you're, you're still going to be like in high school and she's like the living embodiment of that person she never kind of you know she peaked in high school has lived kind of off that forever oh, written by Diablo Cody actually this is one of um, one of her uh, hot spec scripts at the time that got sold uh, Diablo Cody who, who uh, wrote Juno that's what really got her yeah. on 
uh, I think also from the Midwest. Anyway, she's living in Minneapolis, the big city, whatever, finds out that like the I guess her ex-boyfriend from high school had gotten married or something or is getting married. And so she goes over there to, to break it up. Here she's going to roll in town, you know, fix herself up a little bit, be kind of hot and just turn his head, make him fall back in love with her. And that becomes like her mission in throughout the entire movie, which is ter- a, a terrible mission. But yeah. it's, it's kind of darkly comedic, I guess. Um, and she's kind of forced with the fact that, you know, not only is she not 18 anymore and people have emotionally matured, but she has some growing up to do herself, blah, blah, blah. Does she quite get there? You can have to see it to figure out if she <laughs> quite gets there. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's, I rewatched it, I think, about a year ago. Definitely holds up. Great writing, great lead performance by Charlize. I mean, she honestly can do anything. I mean, to think that she started yeah. off as a model and that, I mean, and not to say that models are lesser than people or anything, but to think, to think that people who go on the model track or who start off the model track, I mean, they kind of get pigeonholed, but she, I mean, she is like a full 360 degree actor. She can do anything. The old guard, she's kind of entering this kind of middle-aged, God, I can't believe I'm saying middle, very drink. I can't yeah. remember saying middle age, but I'm middle age, I guess. Whatever. 44, I embrace it. Fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> but she's entering this middle age uh, action uh, 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 series of her career that suits her really well. I mean, she, I mean she's always going to be, she's never not going to be gorgeous. She's never not going to be attractive or whatever. And even when she's not, who cares? Because she really can act her ass off. This is the type of movie where yeah, you can see that she's, you know, good looking or at least was once good looking, which is the whole part of the char- point of the character. But she's doing some real acting here that kind of might go on the radar. Yeah, well, this this one and Tully, where they try to just make her look homely and nothing that special, you still look at her and you're just like, look fantastic. Yeah, the only movie that really successfully pulled it off, it, for which I think she won her Oscar for. It was Monster. Movie. Yeah, uh, Monster, yeah. And that, I mean, that, and that needed heavy prosthetics to hide all of that. <laughs> yeah, I love me some Charlize Theron. I am officially in the era of her career where I'll watch anything she's in. So, yeah. And actually, in me, speaking of, there is some obscure Netflix film in my queue that she was in that no one really talks about. So I have to go watch that. But yeah, she's, I like, but, uh, I like her which, cast. which one's that? It's called, uh, damn, you know what? I honestly would not know it unless I ran across it. Oh, 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 oh my God. Her producing credits are nuts, too. She's a really good producer. Bombshell, the old guard. I guess we're doing another Atomic Blonde. Good for her. Hyperdrive, which is like this TV show about, like, the the flying um, the, the flying drone, like drone racing. Okay, whatever. She, she's executive producer Mindhunter. Put that on your resume. I mean, yeah, so she's got impeccable taste. A Private War, which is a really good but depressing film, starred Rosamund Pike. Uh, once again, the oh. historical fictions, uh, this uh, war photographer uh, following her kind of her loves and losses. And Tully, she's in. Girl Boss is terrible. Gotta have at least one misfire. <laughs> oh, she produced Brain on Fire. That's been my cue forever. Okay, I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, so she, The Burning Plane was excellent. So yeah, she's got great taste as even as just a producer. But yeah, uh, she was in, what's the movie? Longshot, Gringo, Tully, The Orville. Shooting The Orville? Oh, no, thank you. Um, 
the last face. That's what it was. Sounds kind of nondescript, but it's got Javier Bardem. Oh, I remember seeing this poster. I don't, I'm not familiar with the movie. I never saw it. So it's 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 out there. It's probably in your queue, or or you should put it in your queue. Maybe check it out. Feet, come on, what's going on? Oh, uh, you know, I'm, okay. <laughs> Just creep a me out. No movie. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's a QT movie. It's creeping me out, but I'm gonna check it out because got Charlize, uh, small cultural cul-de-sac, whatever. But yeah, I love her. So yeah, young adult. That's my third film. What's your fourth film? All right, so. IMDb had this as a Midwestern movie, so I'm going to go ahead and take it, and it's Borat. So, I'm going to put that on my list. You know what? I, that will allow it because he does go through the middle of America, <laughs> and, as well uh, as a couple of cities, and exposing how dumb Americans truly are. So, have at it. <laughs> so, this... I, I wasn't old enough to see rated R movies. I didn't turn 17 until 07. So I snuck into this. And <laughs> Very nice. I like. And I, this movie, I don't think I had ever laughed harder at a movie than the first time I saw this. Just all the uncomfortable, awkward, just every, like you start off, so with the bang, with him walking through his Kazakhstan country, and this, I need to go back and rewatch this movie. I do too. Just look at these these at these publicity stills. I'm just smiling my ass off. And then a, after the movie came out, it's just getting sued left and right, and <laughs> it's just this. I, I love. I, I don't really know what else much to say. Look, I mean, just that <laughs> mustache. And... It's so it's... good. He is so good in this. It, and and this is a movie, and he had a, a follow-up called Bruno like a year or two later. Yeah, that, yeah. And... yeah which, which, was, which was similarly funny, but not, I mean, nothing could top the first one, because this is the first kind of its, of its kind. Like, he made a feature-length movie out of pranks. It's like, is that the time, I think, Ashton Kutcher was kind of hot on his... Um, uh, what was it? Punked. Yeah, he's doing punk. Those are half-hour vignettes. They're like one-offs or whatever. He somehow stitched together, I mean, the very, you know, minimal semblance of a plot of, of this, you know, foreigner going to America to, to find out true Americans, basically setting us all up to fail because he's exposing us for all of our prejudices and and insecurities and this, you know, basic dumb assery. And they let him into his home because he was, very, he was pretty unknown at this point. He'd done the Ali G show. And I think it had come out at that point on HBO and I watched it, I thought it was hilarious. I loved what he was doing. He's hosting these, these actual interviews, real people who weren't in on the joke. Like, I got it. But the second, the second I started seeing publicity for this, I'm like, oh, I'm there. I was there opening day. Oh yeah. I laughed my ass off. There's so many, I mean, funny like things, one-liners and visual sight gags that he did that just, I mean, that still would play to, to this day. It's very funny. He's all in on the bit. He makes everyone uncomfortable. I love the pieces. <laughs> all, these screen, all these screen grabs of him just dying laughing during his interviews. <laughs> I like. Very nice. My wife. Yeah, my, my wife. My wife. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. And... He had a nice little, you know, miniseries on Netflix, uh, The Spy, I think, which is pretty good. Showed 
a very non-funny, very dramatic side. So he's a talented performer, and he married very well. I love Isla Fisher. Is, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll kick this coverage there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Yes, avert, you know this might be the still that goes up on uh, on Instagram for us. <laughs> this might be the screen grab right here, right now. <laughs> yeah, this uh, the scene here where he's at the rodeo. It's just yeah, it's yeah, it's wow. So yeah, it, wow, great, great pick, Borat. Mm -mm. Okay, I'm gonna go a little bit more traditional. Field of Dreams. Don't get much more Midwest than Iowa. Yep, smack dab in the middle Midwest. Yeah. Have you seen Field of Dreams? I have, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. I mean, it's Kevin Costner in a baseball movie, so it. I was, I saw it. <laughs> Did it make you cry? Uh, no, because I was probably ten or eleven the last time I actually sat down and watched it. So I remember seeing in a theater in Seattle, I was in high school, uh, my, was it? Yeah, yeah, 89, yeah, barely in high school. Maybe it was eighth grade. Uh, that was close. And I remember my uh, best friend's dad took us to see it, Guild 45th in Ballard. And this might've been the first movie I ever cried at the end. I don't know what it is about this movie and men and tears, but it seems to invite the waterworks out of us. Something about like fathers and sons and having a game of cat. And I grew up without my father. Not a big deal. I'm not overly emotionally scarred by it. Well, I'm scarred in certain ways, but that's not for this podcast. Anyways, uh, I mean, but it's just something, and it wasn't even like, oh, I miss my father or anything, but just something about like the pure, you know, emotionality of sports, not only as just a metaphor, but as a vehicle for men to, you know, express their feelings and to connect with each other. I, I just kind of, it just really kind of hit me, and it was really well done. Costner's great. James Earl Jones is great. <laughs> I mean, the old, the old timey baseball of it all too, and the, and the idea of just, I mean, I've only been on a farm a handful of times, whatever. I've never lived on a farm per se, for except for one weekend when my mom made me go stay at someone's farm. <laughs> and now that, I mean, just 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 to get the experience, right? But just have the notion that I'm going to go in my backyard where I, you know, got this crop I can't really use. It's, you know, raise it and make a baseball field. Just make a baseball field because a ghost told me to. It's not only just bizarre, but it's also kind of inspiring. It's kind of, it kind of made me look around like, all right, what can we make out of my backyard, you know? <laughs> and I really didn't look at that. After I saw this movie, I looked around like, you know, can we make like a little, I mean, can I make a little mini green monster in my back? You know, I was, I was serious about that. So, it's just, it's just a really heartwarming film. It's definitely family friendly. The little girl, what? Oh my, Gabby Hoffman. Oh my gosh. She's like a person now. She's like old now. Yeah, she's got like credits, 46 credits. I'm like, that name sounds familiar. She was a little girl? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's not, not a very famous performer, but she's, she's, you know, here and there in little parts. I mean, I definitely remember her in Obvious Child, uh, the, the movie with, um, uh, Jenny, uh, uh, not smart. Jenny, you know the from Saturday Night Live. Jenny Sloan, Slate, Jenny Slate. Thank you. Uh, I was gonna get there. Oh. Thanks for going on that journey with me. Uh, yeah, Gabby Hoffman. She has like 
Oh yeah, and she's on Transparent, which I have yet to see, but I probably should see now that I have Prime because I hear it's pretty good. Have you watched a little girl in? And what? Have you seen Transparent? The I haven't watched it. I it was one of those that when I saw it, because it won a bunch of Emmys, right? I'm sorry. They won a bunch of Emmys. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally did. And and I think it kind of paved the way for for Glow. Like I think one of the showrunners on that, uh, or one of the writers on that end up uh, becoming a showrunner for, for Glow. So that, that's pretty cool. But yeah, so historic, a touch of historical fiction, uh, 1919, Black Sox, all sort of stuff. You know, nice sweeping vistas of, you know, Iowa and the Midwest, cornfields, all that good stuff. Yep, that's my fourth movie. What's your last movie? Ring Balls? So I'm, I'm torn because I've got Tuck Nasty standing over here looking at me, and he really wants me to pick a certain movie, but I don't, I don't think I can do a good enough job uh, describing it as well as him. So I think I'm going to call him over here and I'm going to let him pick it. Bring in the Southpaw. Bring in the Southpaw. Yeah. <laughs> come on, come on over, Andrew. Our first ever Zoom bomb on the pod. What's up, Tech Nasty? Um, Andrew, this is Eduardo. What's going on, Andrew? Tuck Nasty, also a cinema draft player. Welcome to the pod. Glad to have you. So it's uh, it's last one for Midwest movie. You go and tell Eduardo what you want to do. Son-in-law. Son-in-law. Okay. Do tell. I'm not familiar with this one. Uh, the Paulie Shore movie. Oh boy. Um. He's a <laughs> yeah. It's something. He's a college uh, guy who uh, has been uh, basically majoring in everything uh, and a girl from the Midwest comes to California and brings him back for uh, Thanksgiving and hijinks and two from there. Carla Gugino. Or is it Gugino or Gugino? I think it's Gugino, right? Yeah, I love it. I think it's yeah. yeah. It, this, this movie is, it says outrageously funny and it that's pretty apt description. It's ridiculous. It's by no means uh, a high quality movie, but there's 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 charm. It's charming. There's laughs. Oh, the all important, outrageously funny from ABC Radio Network. So got to go with that. Got to do it. <laughs> right. Okay. All right, Polly Shore. I mean, it, this is this was peak Polly Shore. Uh, ninety three. Yeah, ninety three. Oh man, um, the hair. <laughs> his name is Crawl. He crawls back to the marks every night. <laughs> that was his name, Crawl? Yeah. Wow, okay. Oh, uh, you know what? Because I respect uh, y'all's opinion so much, I will put it on the list. I'm telling you right now, from the looks of it, it might be a 30 minute movie, but I'll at least give it the 30 minutes. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Because like I mean, at least for me, even when peak Pauly Shore was happening, I was out on Pauly Shore. I, just, I mean, I think I saw Biodome maybe, but kind of fell asleep. So I don't know. But I love Carl Eugenio, so I, I might give it a shot just for her. Yeah, she. I mean, she. She's in it a lot. She's the quote-unquote love interest of Pauly Shore. So. All right, so. son-in-law. All right. So I don't know how I'm going to top son-in-law, but uh, I will try. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna close this out with. Uh, I was gonna do election because that's quite you know very much a Midwest you know high school type show or whatever. But you know I'm I'm gonna go to the big city, kind of like how you've been leaning on Chicago. I'm gonna go to Eight Mile, Detroit. Very gritty Detroit. It's more a rap movie than say a Midwest movie, but it's very much of a time and a place. And that that time was the aughts, and that place definitely you know Detroit. Detroit. Uh, I mean, just in all its grittiness, all its kind of urban non-glory, and and the cipher rap battle scene stuff. Eminem basically playing a younger version of himself. But I mean, and I'm still at a loss at why he just kind of basically did this and dipped. I mean, so much, so many things about this production were nominated for an Oscar. I think the song might have won the Oscar, right? Like Lose Yourself. I believe it did. Yeah, won the Oscar. A great soundtrack. Uh, I mean, and he is a great actor. I really dug him. I don't, did he ever act after this? I don't think he, uh, he was. He was in. He played himself in uh, the the one with uh, Franco and Rogan, where they have to kill Kim, Kim Jong Un. Wait, eight, oh, uh, these are all the, in, the interview. Oh, oh, he was. Oh, oh, wow! I forgot about that. Okay, the interview. So it's like this himself in Entourage. He was in Funny People? I missed that. I forgot about that. All right, so it's a bit... It's like he just plays himself and everything. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but his Jimmy B. Rabbit, I mean, he... There was some heavy lifting uh, actor-wise on that, in that film, and he was he was up to the challenge. He was fine, he was fine for it. I mean, I really liked his... And this, this is the Eminem stuff. Let's go back to the film. Uh, he, you know, the whole... I mean, the rap part he had down, but the whole part of, you know, just being kind of broke and... And, and, and poor and white in a majority black city like Detroit, very very interesting. And also being white going to the largely, you know, predominantly black dominated rap battle scene, but Kai Fly with this huge wig. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Bumba dreads. But yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> but you know, you, you bought it though. I mean, it was good. And I really want Brittany Murphy, oh, another good one we lost. RIP Brittany. Very talented, also Kim Basinger playing, you know, white trashy mother. It was just, it was just a good, it was a good film. I think I saw it a couple times in the theater. I was shocked at how good it was. I really was. Oh yeah, it was, it, it was way better than it probably should have been. And there's another producer with impeccable taste, Ryan Grazer. I mean, they put out a lot of movies, Imagine Entertainment, but this is the same guy who greenlit Boomerang, so he will always have a place in my heart. <laughs> Always. Look at that, Omar Benson Miller. Actually, this is the first film I think I saw him in. Now I think about it. He's gone on now to be on Ballers. Yeah. Rest in pseudo power, I guess. Yeah, that's my final one. All right, good stuff, gentlemen. Speaking of Ballers, we get uh, real-life Ballers with uh, The Rock buying the XFL now. That's right. Okay, Rock, I I see what you're cooking. I don't know if if it's got flavor, but all right, do you. Another guy with more money than sense, but you know, who you. <laughs> but all right, well, that concludes the main part of this podcast. And now we're going to stop. Oh, there's my video once more. All right. And now we are going to take a pause for the cause. And for those listening to the podcast, we're going to take a break to bring you up to speed on the game of Cinema Draft and our Draft Stream game variant how it's played, and how you can participate. Meanwhile, for those of you watching the video, we'll be back very shortly after this quick 
moment. Movie theaters are on hiatus, but we here at Cinema Draft are not. DraftStream is the streaming content version of the Cinema Draft game you know and love. Just like with Cinema Draft, you have a $100,000 salary cap for a 10-actor call sheet. No more, no less. But in this one, you have to have at least one of three types of actors for your 10-actor call sheet. Headliner, co-star, and day player. Scoring is based on a weighted average of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores plus audience and user scores. Headliners get a 40% bonus while co-stars receive a 20% bonus over day player points. There's a weekly minimum $50 prize pool shared by the top two non-Cinema Draft employee call sheets. Or you can go low. Cinema Draft offers a minimum $10 lowball bonus to the lowest scoring call sheet of the week. To qualify, your call sheet must spend at least $75,000 of your budget, use at least one actor from three separate titles in the talent pool, and, of course, roster at least one headliner, co-star, and day player to your 10-actor call sheet. The game runs from Thursday evening to Monday afternoon with daily updates on Saturday and Sunday before final scoring after Monday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Currently, we are alpha testing DraftStream in a rudimentary spreadsheet-based format while we work on adapting it for digital play. Tweaks happen almost weekly due to player feedback. We really need the data, so please help us out and play the game. A link to the most current talent pool is included in the podcast description. Please review the rules tab and submit your call sheet by Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks again for your help and good luck. Back. So, our quarantine movie of the week last week was The Half of It. And actually, let me share my screen so you can see what's still up here. By the time you all watch or listen to this podcast, we will have the new one up for this week. And here it is, The Half of It, which is, I mean, have you seen The Half of It, uh, Nick? Yeah, this was on our call sheet about a month or so ago, and I... I think I went heavy on it that week, and I watched it. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot, too. It's a really charming movie, a modern-day take on Cyrano, Cyrano de Bergerac. Now, our quarantine movie of the week this week shall be Notting Hill. Now, once again, this might be a little before your time, but are you familiar with Notting Hill, Green Balls? Uh, I'm familiar. This, this is the one with the I'm just a girl or a boy that... That, that yeah, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Oh, gets me every time. I rewatched it a couple weeks ago. It's just so charming. So incredibly charming. Basically, it's Julia Roberts playing a version of herself, a movie star named Anna Scott, uh, where she falls for a London everyman while on a shoot, you know, in London. Uh, he's like a a bookstore owner in the Notting Hill section of London. And, you know, her, you know, movie star falling for a mere mortal just, you know, has all sorts of unintended consequences and effects. And it's great. It's, I mean, they have, they have, they've got pretty good chemistry. 
she is just at the height of her Julia Robertsness. Uh, I mean, I know you know who Julia Roberts is, and then you know she's a bit of a star. But were you were you old enough ever to appreciate like her and her like her her zenith, like late '90s to you know aughts? Were you able to fully appreciate how much a star she was in her day? Probably not fully appreciate it. Uh, was it Ocean's Twelve? Twelve, yeah, yeah. That that's probably the first time like it's like oh that's Julia Roberts. Yeah. So that's probably the first one where I appreciated it because yeah, I look at that. I touched I mean, before my that. time. Oh yeah, she look, just I like mean, the, I can't, I can't with her. She's, I mean, yeah, yeah, she's pretty and all but she's incredibly charming and charismatic. And she always, I mean, she has these lines which, in 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 the mouths of like lesser actors, whatever, they'd be okay. But she always puts like a little slight, I mean, it's it's very kind of subtle spin or subversive kind of snark or, or just kind of personality to it, which really makes her the star that she is. I mean, it's probably one of her lesser uh, heralded qualities. Everyone talks about like the smile and like, you know, she's fairly tall and she's got like kind of, you know, this kind of hotter next door girl demeanor, whatever, but she's just like extremely good at what she does. She's very charismatic and she's very likable, even when she's being a bit of a, a shit. She plays a bit of a, a diva uh, movie star in this. And, uh, if, and if you haven't seen this, or haven't seen it recently, it's worth a rewatch. It definitely holds up. Definitely holds up. This, is, this movie is kind of what put Reese Eichens on the map, if he ever was on the map. I mean, he's kind of... He kind of gets I mean, parts these days. I'll, I'll always... He's, he's in the replacement with Keanu Reeves, right? Oh God! Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's that always been, what I'll. Uh, that's what always what I'll think of him from. Actually, that might have been the, the year before this. So maybe you. Uh, I don't know. He was he was a bit of a lesser known commodity in in the nineties. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a really satisfying movie, and, and she's her face is just so expressive. Ah, love just love 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 Julia Roberts. I mean, she's like. You know, married, got kids now, and is down her New Mexico ranch, whatever. But I really wish she would act more. She's so so talented, so so talented. Hugh Grant also. I mean, this actually ostensibly is his. Yeah, I was gonna say this was about the peak of his Hugh Grant myth, wasn't it? Pretty much. I mean, he's he's had an interesting like um, he's had an interesting, not quite middle age, not older. I mean, he's like sixty now, right? I mean, but he's had an interesting. Uh, aging into you know more quirky older older parts i really enjoyed him in the gentleman did you see the gentleman in theaters when it came oh, out oh yeah i forgot he was in that yeah like, I Brian, that movie Brian, more than I, yeah. <laughs> ring balls ring balls play gummy ring balls <laughs> yeah that uh, was that was a movie that was uh better than i thought it was going to be the gentleman i remember seeing that preview and i was then I watched it. I mean, a lot of people have have thoughts on Guy Ritchie not liking him. I like him fine. I mean, I mean, he's not. I'm not going to want him to do like, like. Well, he's done historical fiction. Now I think about it, but I'm not going to want him to do you know, like Beloved or something. But you know, he's he's fine. He's fine. Uh, he's good at what he does. All right. So so that is so so everyone go watch Notting Hill and tweet me your tweet length review at Play Cinema Draft on Twitter. And, you know, we'll interact. Maybe we'll retweet a few of your reviews. 
Since you are in the podcast with no segues, it is time for our draft stream update. Last week, we had a little bit of jockeying from some known quantities. I'm talking about Gamble24x7 and Jaybird, the two top money winners in the draft stream game. This week, G24, the homie, took first and second by the slimmest of margins. <laughs> Got there by 0.27 points. He had, uh, on taking second place, the box Jaybird out. Jaybird did not go home empty-handed. He did win the $10 low ball bonus. So no monies rolling over next week for me. I was a distant fifth. Kind of sucked. But, yes, Jaybird's back in midseason form. He took a couple weeks off, let us breathe. <laughs> now he's back in dominating fashion. Things cash in four or five straight weeks. G24 is in fine form as well. He won on – a truly rare diversified call sheet, six titles, no less, six titles employed in our 10-slot actor call sheet. The old 811 headliner co-star day player carried the day. And as you can see from the scores from last week, it was, it was a bit of a stars and scrubs week. Three stars over 100, a 91 with work it, and a 93 at corner, and the rest were in the low 80s to the 70s. Not a great week and also came below average. This week, we have all got our work cut out for us. 20, 20 titles. We're going big. We're supersizing it. Not only was it an interesting week with a lot of interesting titles to play with, but also I'm trying to ease you all into the new normal. We will most likely have 20 to 25 titles a week once we are all coded up and on the web app. And I know you guys are just as, as impatient as I am to, just to, to click buttons instead of copy paste spreadsheets. <laughs> Lord knows I am too, but I'm telling you, I promise you that it's worth the wait. Pollock Kathuria, aka PK in the game, who hopefully will be playing with us this week. She's doing excellent work over there in, in Delhi, so we'll let her cook. In the meantime, we have got some tiles to sift through. We've got the what, 17th, 18th season of Hard Knocks, Hard Knocks LA. We've got the fourth season of 3%, the Brazilian, I think, kind of uh, sci-fi futuristic uh, film. Boys State, which is interesting. Uh, I saw, Yeah, I've been seeing previews for that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, a thousand 17-year-old boys from Texas joined together to build a representative government from the ground up. You know, that's going to be a hot mess. So I'm here for that. <laughs> and Lovecraft Country, which is getting stellar reviews and coincidentally is also our most expensive salary on the slate. Yeah, is that what? That, that's Sunday night, right? Sunday 16th. night, HBO, baby. Prestige TV. Peak TV is back. J.J. Abrams behind him. Who also did Watchmen. What have you heard about Lovecraft Country? Uh, I know. I know. My one buddy, he sent he sent the review to it. It's so it's uh it's kind of like a a couple dealing with racism and like aliens at the same time, isn't it? I think so. so yeah, I haven't read the book, uh, but I think so. Uh, I know. I have I actually have. Yeah, so I've been seeing the previews for this too, and. I, uh, when I get home from work Sunday night, I'm probably going to fire up HBO and 
check out this first episode. I mean, Jordan Peele's got his name attached to it, so you know at the very least uh, it's going to be well thought of and put together. So uh, I'm definitely definitely going to uh, make sure I watch this. And it'll be interesting to see how much in play this this title is going to be because twenty thousand is is you know towards the higher end of our salaries like in the history of the draft stream game. And with twenty with nineteen other titles on the slate, makes you wonder: Do you even need Lovecraft Country? Can you make a, a difference somewhere else? I don't know. That's going to be interesting. That's, to yeah, that's that's always my worry whenever I go something really much higher than 15, especially when we have a bunch of titles, since scoring upside's technically capped at, what, about 130 points? Yeah. Uh, yeah so. the, the highest we've had score in this uh, for our basic total score is still the last uh, the last dance at 124.15. Has not been what, did, uh, what did Beyonce score the other week? Oh, so you, had, you didn't hear my rants on uh, Black is King, did you? Yeah. No, I, I missed that one. There are a bunch of yeah, you know what? I'm I'm not gonna derail us. I swear I'm not listeners <laughs> and viewers. The Black is King still infuriates me with the the IMDB rating is what let us all down. Everyone else was glowing, but the IMDb 5.5. That's some fuck shit. I don't care what anybody says. That's that's ridiculous. And that feels like some sabotage, just people rating it poorly. Yeah, look look at all those one stars. Like Yeah, and and, and then when you rate by demographic. It's the men. The men suck. Men over, men 30 and over are just awful people. <laughs> or at least have no taste. And then actually, and I'll say from this, uh, from this sampling, it's just no taste. Then you go to the user reviews and it's all racism. It's so bad. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I, so I was, was going to say, this just felt like you see scores like that and you see it just seems like people wanted to sabotage it for what it was, or for, not for what it was. People just wanted to sabotage it just because Beyonce's black and not necessarily give it a chance. That I, I, I did play that week, but I think that was another one where I almost forgot. So I threw something together real quick. And uh, I, I'm always worried when it comes to something, and, that, and that's not even divisive, but something like, uh, what's it? Boys, boys state this week. It feels like something where people might just go on there and sabotage it just based off their political views. So it's, some, it's something I think about when I think it might be somewhat divisive that I get worried that people are just going to go on there and intentionally take it just because there's terrible people out there who don't like. And that's smart. And that's smart to think of the meta narrative too, because I mean, when in a game like ours, where so much is weighted on, on the the user score, the you know the the Google user score and the IMDb user score, we have to take that into consideration. We do not want to end up with another Black is King situation. So that's actually a wise, uh, yeah, something wise to keep in mind. I'm even though I set these damn prices, I myself may fade Lovecraft Country because I'm I'm concerned about that too. But people. People may see this as like the spiritual successor to Watchmen because J.J. Abrams attached to it because there are heavy duty racial themes addressed in it, whatever. And although critically acclaimed, who knows what you know what the country's feeling right now? I mean, I mean, big ups to us. You know, Biden nominated Kamala Harris. You know, first 
African American female and Indian American female to be you know nominated as vice president candidate candidate whatever. But I mean, who knows where the country's going to be at you know this weekend? So I don't know. I might fade it for that. I might fade it because there might be some better value elsewhere. I kind of like. I think in in the the preview this week, I think I talked about one I messed up in the beginning. Yeah, Ted Lasso. I think I might have messed up in pricing because it is Apple TV. I I, I think I'm going to check this out. <laughs> I like Jason Sudeikis. I'm not, I did so. Uh, I've been seeing the previews for it, and I'm not a bit. I'm not a big soccer fan, but I think that almost is going to pick play more into the fact to it since it seems like his character knows really nothing about it and he goes over to England to be the manager of a of a squad of, I mean also I, any, anybody that can just rock a mustache like that we go back to Borat from earlier I I love someone with the confidence to just rock an awesome mustache so I'm going to check this out and I'm sure I I feel pretty confident that I'll enjoy at least the first episode yeah, and and I mean, I get Apple TV Plus doesn't have like like a big track record with comedy. I and mean, they did Trying, which was excellent. Have you seen Trying? Oh my god, that was so good. Oh um, no, I haven't got to that yet. So uh, I mean, and there's there's another Esther which I'm totally in love with. Esther Smith, uh, it's British comedy about this uh, couple of uh, non-married um, a, a a couple who who aren't married but they're, they're trying to have a kid in like modern day London and you know and then they see that the cancer they're trying to adopt and that's really I mean it's it's so heartwarming it's good it's I think it's been renewed for second season and so that's the only other real comedy I'm kind of aware of from Apple TV plus so I honestly probably should have priced this up but because it seemed like a one note joke I kind of priced it down but this could be some hidden value here because Apple TV plus they don't miss I mean their their stuff is usually pretty solid if you check out the master score list this is actually reminding me that I I need I've got about five episodes of Central Park I need to catch up on. Ah yeah yeah good point. Yeah Apple TV Plus I mean look at all those hundreds man I mean you do a quick average. You guys can even do this at home too when you check out the master score list. Ninety two point three five that's ridiculous quality on average. When your when your lowest rated is like sixty eight point seven, which is just under just under default score, and that's only because no one covered it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. yeah, this yeah, Apple TV Plus financial quality. So that might be some source of hidden value. What else do you see in this week's talent pool, if anything? What what's caught your eye? Uh, I mean, hard knocks. It's people people are starved for football, uh, and I mean, at the very least. We know we don't have to worry about any default scores from Hard Knocks. It's going to get plenty of reviews. Um, now, this might also be another one. You got sports fans and their tribalism. That, I mean, with the with the Rams and the Chargers, they're like, "Well, fuck these guys. Uh, <laughs> why why wasn't my team picked? It, they could tank it like that." But I think I mean I was looking through earlier. Uh, to just get familiar with some of the titles. And it seems like most of these seasons come clocked in around that 8.5 number. So it feels like it's going to get a pretty strong score. Uh, and it seems like it's pretty reasonably priced. It might be the reason where fading, uh, was it Love, Lovecraft Country, works out well because you can get this for about half the price. 
Ah, you know, good point. And also, I'm having, I mean, I believe it debuts tonight, and I'm, I'm still a little leery about rostering Tuesday night or uh, Tuesday shows on the platform. But it went okay last week, so I'm not, you know, so I'm trying out again. And it, it's hard knocks, you know. You, you know, it's going to be in the conversation, especially with all the COVID-19 stuff around football. And so you're going to have a ton of information by the time Thursday afternoon, evening rolls around, and it's time to submit a call sheet. So it's not up right yet, but I'm pretty sure they're going to have up, you know, the, the season-specific episodes or whatever, and we'll see how it performs. I know when I get done with this podcast and I have to, you know, edit it a little bit and do some other, you know, similar draft business, I'm going to have it on the third monitor. I'm going to be watching <laughs> it, you know? So, yeah, bring it on, hard knocks. And, and I thought it was kind of fun to try to guess – who are going to be the personalities this year? Because obviously they don't have like a cast list per se, but the actors for this show, obviously Liev Schreiber, hopefully he's returning as the voice. He's been rocking that for a good, you know, six or seven years now. Sean McVay obviously is like the media darling, so you know he's going to be the headliner. And after that, I just kind of picked the, the kind of most I mean, spoken people from if, both if, those squads. If I had to guess who's going to be the personality, uh, it's a safe bet that Jalen Ramsey's going to be high on that. And you're going to say, yep, and you're going to say that. Yep, he's he's a mouth. He got a mouth on him. Yeah, so that, that should be fun. Chris Harris Jr. Uh, also kind of chatty, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if they actually turn into actual characters or just in the background. Uh, I, if, I don't know if Joey boasts as outspoken as his little brother, uh, but if he is, he's he's going to – well, let's let's put it this way: If he's as outspoken as Nick Bosa, he's probably already trending on Twitter right now. <laughs> I know, right? While we're recording, yes, we're recording this Tuesday night, uh, about eight nine. Well, now it's nine something Pacific time. Hard Knocks has debuted. By the time we're done with this podcast, shortly, I'll let you get some rest. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> I'm sure we'll you know have plenty of of fodder to interact with from the Hard Knocks camp. So everybody who's playing the game, there is a link in the podcast description to this week's Draft Stream Alpha Test. We are, like I said, mere weeks away from the web app being up and running. So bear with us. Come play a game with us. We're giving away a $50 prize pool plus a $10 lowball bonus for the lowest score that meets the criteria of minimum $75,000 budget spend, at least one actor from three different titles used plus the other requirements for a legitimate call sheet. Come play with us. Email me your call sheets at cinemadraft at gmail.com. Get in here, get the free money. Some of y'all out of work, come get the free money, damn it. Plus a $25 bonus should your call sheet match either the perfect call sheet on the high end or the perfect lowball call sheet on the low end. So come get the free money, everybody. Three entries max per player. Come play with us. All right, so like I said, it is getting late where you're at out there in the loop. So uh, appreciate you hanging out with us again, Nick. Lending your expertise, we'll bring you back on as much as you're as as you're available when we get the new site up and running and review strategies and the sort once again. Uh, this is normally the time I tell you to go ahead and plug your ish. What do you have to plug, Nick? Oh, well, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be, we're going to be working on our team bracket for movies. Uh, we've got, we're down to the final four for our sports movies. Uh, and then I guess the last time I was on here, we did Disney animated movies where Toy Story ended up winning. 
Um, so just we'll be, be on the lookout for that. Other than that, uh, I don't have much to Oh, so, what, so uh, what, what's the final four here that I see on the... So we did sports movies for this one, and we didn't get as big of a turnout as we did for the Disney movies. Okay. And uh, most of my, as being a hockey player, we had, we had hockey movies make it a lot further because, well, that's most of my friends. Um, oh, the Sandlot's boat racing Happy Gilmore. Oh, no. It's all. It's uh, all happy Gilmore all day. We had uh, only one, only one one seed made it to the to the final four, and it was Major League. Oh, that's tough. Oh, I mean, man, that's this is Sophie's choice right here. Major League or Miracle? I, I, uh, I mean, I own both. Both give me joy in two totally separate ways. Uh, you know what? Damn it, I, I'm. I'm I'm going with with the chicken heads. I'm going, you know, don't touch my back. Don't touch my back. Uh, but that's that's tough though. I I, I own Miracle. I loved. I I went into seeing that movie at the theater, not expecting much out of it. I knew the story of Miracle on Ice, whatever. But I had no idea like how like the grit, the hard work. Again, again. I mean, all that stuff. Just yeah, that's wow. Yeah, I'm 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 mad at misses. Next time you have one of these polls, please. Uh, please either tweet at us or tag us in one of these and we'll, you know, we'll try to get the word out too. I mean, you know, we don't have the biggest amount of followers either, but I'd love to, to cast my vote at, uh, at Play Cinema Draft on Twitter. Definitely check out, um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to check out your poll next time we have it. And check out our boy Ringballs at Ringballs22 to interact with his latest polls. Good stuff. Thanks for, for coming by and, and giving us your expertise in the game. Give your, giving us your expertise on, on, uh, on the Midwest movies. I feel like I learned something. Son-in-law. I've got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Nasty really, really wanted, really wanted that to be on the list. So I let him come on and speak a little bit about it. All right. Well, he, well he's getting my 30 minutes, damn it. And I will play us out. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks everybody for listening. Come play with us at Cinema Draft. We'd love to have you. We'll see you all again next time. Where can you find Cinema Draft? We are on Twitter, at Play Cinema Draft, Facebook, Cinema Draft, Instagram, at Play Cinema Draft, Medium, at Cinema Draft, that is our corporate blog. We're even on Pinterest, Cinema Draft. Also, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. And finally, please visit us at cinemadraft.co and sign up for an invite to the relaunch. We will always have games where you can sign up, play for free, and win real money. Cinema Draft is a registered mark of Cinema Draft LLC. Both the Cinema Draft game and the CD3D decentralized app token are for entertainment purposes only.